Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. everybody. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. Today we're chatting with Sandeep Main from the Gateway Research Organization about the perennial grains research that GROW has been doing over the past couple of years, as well as the new intercropping project that we are collaborating on. But before we get into all the fun stuff, uh, Sandeep, can you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about Gateway Research Organization and how you got started with them? Thank you, Joanna, for inviting me to talk to you guys. Uh, my journey with Gateway Research Organization started in 2015. Uh, I recently graduated uh, from my master's program from University of Alberta. Uh, I have a master's degree in animal science, and I have a master's degree in uh, food science and technology. So with that, uh, when I got the opportunity to work with Gateway Research Organization, it was a little bit of challenge on how crop sector as well as the you know any my animal nutrition background will you know co- cooperate together but as a researcher i know the procedure how the research should be done and that was one thing i thought okay let's go and have this challenge and with that from last uh, seven years i have been managing a research program and general manager at gateway research organization awesome so to start us off, what are perennial grains and which ones are we looking at with these uh, these trials? So the couple of projects uh, we are involved uh, with perennial grain, uh, most people will be familiar with the perennial uh, crops on the legume and forest side, but we were trying to find alternate option of on the grain crop side. And we are working with producer, breeders from Lethbridge and a land institute out of Kansas. And they are uh, developing the new varieties on perennial grain, uh, the intermediate wheatgrass, or a trade named as Granja, that comes out of land institute. And that was the one we were very excited to try and see how that perennial wheat will uh, establish in our environment in Northern Alberta and then how we can best use this as a dual purpose, as it suggests for the grain, as well as on forage quality side. So that was the one, uh, the first project we started working on. And then we came to know about the perennial rye grain. And that was developed close to home out of Lathbris. And so we thought it, it will be a good thing to try in a Northern Alberta environment. And again, we were looking for the dual option of grain as well as forage quality. So we established our plots uh, first time in 2019. And uh, since 2020, 20, and 2021, and 2022, we had a three year of uh, harvest from the, those plots. And the harvest from those plots, the seed we used to run a larger project. So currently we are working with the University of Alberta and six other applied research association. And we are running this uh, trial at seven locations throughout Alberta 
and Akeem Okane from Peace Country Beef Association is the lead investigator and his experience of working in the perennial forage crops uh, we were hoping will help us to you know know more about establishment and uh, utilization and stable uh, stability in our environment and how best we can get the benefit from these perennial grain crops that makes sense so speaking of stability of yields and that sort of thing, we've had some really variable weather between 2019 and now. Uh, so have you noticed anything interesting in, in terms of yield from your established trials? Uh, very nice question. I guess, you know, uh, we have fortunate or unfortunate to see like variable weather uh, since 2020 and 2021 we came up from a very wet year to a very dry and very hot year. And mm -hmm. uh, those established uh, perennial grain definitely responded differently. Uh, on the positive note, the perennial grain, because they have a deep-rooted system, and once they were established, mm -hmm. they were able to access more nutrient, more uh, uh, water underneath from, from the reserve, from the soil. So they were able to cope up one year of drought pretty uh, better than the spring crop options we have at the same location. But on the negative side, with adverse uh, weather events, usually the maturity of those perennial crops, we saw there was a big variation. They were not as uniform. Some of the perennial, uh, like plants, uh, especially on the perennial rye side, we saw the difference uh, in their maturity they were uneven and that's why they have way more incidence of uh, ergot oh, okay. in, in the incidence of the perennial rye on the perennial wheat side uh, we didn't see much of the you know impact of these changing weather on the crop so it definitely is way more uh, stronger crop to, uh, to weather some of these event whenever there is a stress event, perennial wheat was able to withstand a little bit better than the perennial rye. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So you mentioned that there's, uh, you're taking both forage, uh, so animal feed and grain uh, in these trials. Uh, can you talk a little bit about yields and, and quality and that sort of stuff? Absolutely. So, so the, our aim, as I mentioned earlier, like, we want to see like how best we can utilize these crops, and mm -hmm. that's still in under investigation in our the, the current project, which is a larger scale throughout Alberta, and we are looking on different way of utilizing these perennial grain. So we divided this whole uh, our project into two component, where we are looking if you a farmer can seed the crop in year one, and the next year when he has to come and graze. Uh, maybe he can come in spring and use it as a uh, animal feed or silage and then let the regrowth go for the seed and harvest it in later in the fall so that was the one way if you have um, a situation where you think you have a longer season uh, and especially in southern alberta, alberta environment when you're um, they have a little bit longer at day um, growing season compared to in uh, northern Alberta environment such as Fairview. 
so for fairview situation we thought the second year will start with the harvesting as a grain and let the second regrowth to you know go for uh, winter grazing so those were the two option we are still utilizing we will be collecting a lot of feed sample and check if we are losing feed quality in one utilization way to the other way and those are the few question we still need more answer uh, and then the other question you had was about the yield of the these plots you already mentioned the weather was very variable so as yield was so in 2020 we had fairly good yields for the uh, perennial rye and perennial wheat and if you see on the bushel weight of wheat because we don't know what bushel weight to use for these perennial uh, grain so we just used the spring wheat bushel weight and on based of that we had about 21 bushel uh, yield for the perennial wheat and 62 bushel for perennial rye in first year. So that was pretty good uh, yield for the year that we have. Uh, in the second year, the situation was not as diverse like the perennial rye didn't yield as much. Uh, it came to 40 bushel range and little bit incidence of ergot. We didn't do the ergot count, so I don't know, but I will say at least 10% was ergot in that year. And the reason was 2021 was pretty hard, dry, and a stressful year for the crop. So the maturity was uneven. Uh, however, the spring wheat, uh, or sorry, the perennial wheat did pretty good. And it yielded about uh, 37 bushel per acre on the second year. So wheat seems to, you know, increasing after establishment, whereas rye was kind of the other way. And to, to mitigate some of these uh, impact of disease management, especially on the ergot side, we were looking options for mixing with them intercropping. Right. So for this trial, we're intercropping with perennial legumes like uh, alfalfa, I think, and sandfoin <laughs> come to mind. But can you talk a little bit about uh, which legumes we're looking at and uh, why those ones were selected? So the idea was, again, like if we, instead of monocrop, if we intercrop because they all have a, at least three years of life cycle where we can utilize uh, them as a grain as well as forage crop. So provide a more wholesome you know, feed option uh, and to mitigate some of the disease risk. We thought if we introduce legume along with that perennial grain crop, maybe that will help you know, some uh, to see how, how that will impact on the ergot disease. So we selected three popular options in Northern Alberta, which can be uh, for a perennial uh, legume option. So we have alfalfa, we have sandfoin, and we had uh, clovers, a white clover in that. Mm. So we we choose all three so that they are all perennial, can go at least three years in our environment, and and most commonly use legume option for the uh, for the for the cattle producers. So we use them uh, and we gonna see like how uh, monocrop and intercrop, uh, they're gonna behave for the yield as well as disease uh, resistance. I will not say disease resistant, I should say disease tolerance. Right, that makes sense. I guess the other thing about inter 
integrating legumes would be some fertility benefits maybe. And I know one of the neat things about perennials versus annuals is that they're generally sort of lower maintenance. They've got some lower requirements uh, year over year. So can you talk a little bit about the fertility program you've been using on these trials? Yeah, so we, for the fertility, we try to use, uh, that was a big, uh, you know, a point of discussion, like how much upfront neutral uh, fertility you want to put. Uh, and the reason is like, if you put too much upfront through the synthetic fertilizer, legume might, you know, don't take that effort to make or generate their own nutrient. And right. so we try to keep it as 50% uh, need of a monocrop and we ho hope some of the nutrients will come from the the legume and we will see. Uh, the other option you could be like, we're gonna be doing soil testing in subsequent year. And if we mm -hmm. feel or we see if there is a nutrient deficiency happening in the trial, we will think about, you know, uh, supplementing through broadcast or other way. But for now, we are thinking, let let the legume do the work and see how much they can bring the fertility, uh, fertility to those monocrop need. Mm -hmm. And the other option, as I already mentioned, that perennial grain, uh, they have a deep root system. So they can, you know, go and find soil nutrient from deeper layer right that so sense. that's you know the whole idea of using these perennial gray is like more um, better resource management yeah. uh, we don't want to put too much fertilizer no we we didn't want to spray anything and let these uh, uh, perennial grain compete with weed uh, and they have we have seen some success in compare uh, their competition with the weed for sure in year mm -hmm. First year, we were a little bit patchy where weeds were there, but we didn't bother much and let it grow. Uh, come to the second year, the perennial grains were well established and they didn't let any of those weed issues to you know, propagate further. So the perennial, that one, the biggest nice. advantage I see on the perennial grain side is uh, ability to you know access the nutrient from the deeper soil zone uh, and a long taproot which can provide that porosity into the soil health, uh, soil structure, and that improves the soil health overall. And, <laughs> and, and good, good you know, competition with the weed. So those are the three advantages I can see on the perennial grain side, um, which is very helpful. And especially if you are on a marginal land where you are not able to get the good cereal or oilseed crop every year, uh, this comes very handy because you are utilizing your um, marginal land into a long-term uh, source of revenue, but not you know putting too much input. So that's one way of looking into you know, improving those marginal land economics uh, by using the perennial grain options. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, the other question I had just quickly on this was um, what are you seeing for winter hardiness on these so far? So yeah, winter hardiness, uh, especially on the perennial rye, it's uh, fall rye are pretty hard in our, in, like they are doing pretty well in our environment. So and perennial rye grain was little on, on par or 
a bit better than the fall rye options we have here. So, and similarly, uh, we have seen the winter, uh, like perennial wheat was as good as the winter wheat and maybe a little bit better than winter wheat. And the other cool thing I want to mention here, uh, last year after two years of establishment, we tried to dig up the roots uh, from these perennial grains in springtime. And we used, uh, we, we went fairly deep, uh, like up to 10 feet underneath and see like uh, where those uh, root systems are going uh, uh, into deep into the soil. And we are in a um, gray wooded clay soil zone. So it's not as porous or like a sandy soil zone where the roots can easily penetrate through. But we were still able to see some root hairs even up till the five feet uh, below uh, these perennial uh, wheat and rye. Compared to just and five feet away, we had a spring crop trial going on. And the spring wheat uh, root, we were able to find last root hair up to like one and a half feet, two feet underneath. So there is a there is some advantage, like it as it says, the perennial uh, grain tend to go deeper and try to you know explore more nutrient underneath. Mm -hmm. Just utilize more of your soil profile. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Oh, the other thing I was wondering about these uh, new intercropping trials is I believe we're taking, are we taking a bit of moisture data or moisture utilization data on those trials? And what does that look like? Oh, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm also excited to see those data, how they will be in year two. Uh, because last year, mm -hmm. again, was fairly dry for our reason. Like we used to get 15 inch of rain and we are about seven to eight inch of rain. So for some area, it still is not a dry as they will call their rainfall requirement. But for our area, we consider this as a little drier situation. And even though our uh, perennial grain and legumes were established pretty awesome last year, we will see like how they come up for the next year, uh, this year. And the reason I'm saying is because the later in the season, we started to see those uh, perennial legumes uh, started to show the symptom of uh, moisture stress or heat stress. But uh, at least with our moisture meter, we could analyze that, yes, uh, there's a moisture availability was better in some plots and, you know, more in, uh, less in some and more in some other one. Uh, we haven't, uh, that was year one, so let's, right. maybe we hope we get the same data from seven different locations this year. And that will give us a pretty good idea on how those different crops are using the moisture or saving the moisture uh, over the period of time. Yeah, that'll be really neat. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I guess the other really big question uh, for anybody who's curious about growing any of these crops, uh, are these seeds available for sale or are they still being approved? Are they still being developed? <laughs> Uh, that's that's a million dollar question, I guess. <laughs> and we, since we started uh, planning these projects, uh, started talking about these projects, we get many calls from producer about you know how to get the seed. Mm -hmm. uh, so for so far, what I know, like the 
intermediate wheatgrass, Granja, is uh, licensed or you know proprietary to the Land Institute out of Kansas, mm. and they are still developing and trying to make it you know a more viable, uh, a more economical uh, crop option. So we will be looking to see like if they have the the distribution right to other people in future. Uh, right. For the perennial rye, the ACE one was uh, available commercially and some of the seed grower pick up that option, but uh, it was not as popular as it should be. Mm -hmm. So that is something we still need to, I guess, talk about. And if, if we try to prove that if these perennial rye grain option without Arget, if we are able to make this, you know, economical stand for five year or four year long, then maybe there will be a market demand to some seed grower can pick up and the seed will be available. But for now, uh, these perennial grains are still under inoffensive and they are still, the breeders are trying to answer some of the challenges and that is still in the development phase. Fair enough. Oh, yeah. Is there any other uh, data that we're taking on these new trials other than moisture data? We'll be looking at the, the forage and the grain yields on them. Is there anything else we're looking at that's kind of fun on that? Yeah, for the, the larger trials, uh, I think we are collecting fairly extensive data uh, set. So we are looking for every year we are having those base soil sampling with compaction and uh, then we are monitoring for the moisture availability throughout season and then we are also using uh, ndvi rating to see the the nutrient availability so a lot of data on observations and then finally we will be doing for the forage quality as well as the yield uh, which is another uh, which which is always very important for the producer as well as researchers too. Uh, and on observation side, we will be closely monitoring about the disease pressure and the wheat pressure. How how many uh, how much was the wheat pressure in year one, and how that wheat pressure was in year two. And I as I mentioned earlier, we are replicating these trial in replication at seven location, so that will be a strong uh, you know subset of data information that can bring some fruitful discussion in future yeah oh i remember the other thing i was chatting with a producer here and we were talking about the perennials and the perennial grains and they were like so how do you terminate that <laughs> how do you terminate that crop have you done any work on that or done any uh had any thoughts about that <laughs> That's a good question. I guess we haven't reached that point, but um, no, well, like the perennial rye seems like if it didn't give uh, enough yield, this will be fourth year and we might be terminating. But we, I think spring comes to my mind, but I don't know like if we can do it more as, you know, herbicide free option for managing it. But yeah, now we were more interested to see how the stand can be long, uh, longevity of the stand compared to termination of stand at this point. But you know, it's a good, good point, and we'll, uh, we'll see like how, 
how it, that behaves. Uh, on the literature, it says uh, perennial uh, rye can have fairly good stand until four or five years, and perennial wheat can go five years or longer. So, we, and we are in year four, uh, year three now, so we don't, after three years, we still have two more years to go, and we'll see how best we can do for termination. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It's one of those it's new enough we we need to know that it grows and how it grows before we start thinking about how to get rid of it <laughs> yeah as long as the forage quality is awesome i guess you know you know termination should not be uh, a, pro, uh, a big hurdle for a producer but yes if if it turned into a mess and then we have to spray it down they are they are easily sprayable and killable by using a lot of spray option so it's, mm -hmm. they are not resistant to any of spray as far as I know. Cool. All right. Uh, is there anything we've missed that you'd like to talk about? I think we can talk about some of the disadvantages of using. <laughs> so the only disadvantage I can see about perennial grain, like still, as I mentioned, they are in early stage of development and um, they're, we still have to wait many years to see uh, if they are able to achieve the potential of this other annual grain options. And um, like, and there is a market. So the market access is the biggest challenge for a producer mm -hmm. in our area. Like if you have a fairly good market, then it's worth trying in your environment. Otherwise, sometime maybe it's a good good crop for the environment, but when, as long as the market is not there, it, it don't pay for the all the hard work. For sure, that's a good point. So the market availability or market uh, development will be some of one of the big factor along with breeding effort that need to be still done. That makes sense. All right, on. Thanks for uh, doing this episode with me. Um, if people are curious to see more information on uh, some of the trials you have done or find more information on the, the new intercropping project or find out more about GROW, where can they find you? Yeah, sure. So like we have a couple of videos and podcasts on YouTube and Podbeam. Uh, if you look for sustainable agriculture, gateway research on Podbeam, you can easily find um, about 40 different podcasts we have and you can we have a good chat with uh, uh, Lee D. Han from Land Institute uh, who is actively working with perennial grain, uh, perennial wheat Karenja in Kansas and mm -hmm. that uh, coffee shop or that chat was very informative to see like what are the good things and what the bad things still we need to uh, you know, consider when we are looking for a perennial grain option. And to know more about GROW, you can go to our website, gatewayresearchorganization.com and look for the event options uh, if you're looking for attending some of the event we are hosting. And always, uh, we are available on Facebook and Twitter. So do please follow us and you know, we we love to hear from producer, and if they have an advice, uh, we will take it as a constructive criticism. Please, you know, feel free and provide more uh, feedback so that we can also learn with you guys. Fantastic. 
Well, that's awesome. I think that's all the questions I have for now. Anyway, <laughs> I'll put the links to uh, Gateway Research's website down in the down the description and their podcast and YouTube and all that sort of stuff. So, and with this podcast, I guess we're gonna go and outreach more. Only problem is like we are not able to get the seed, <laughs> and <laughs> that question comes and haunt us again. Yes, we're working on it. We swear. <laughs> Yeah, we are we are here to give you good news and maybe some bad news. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening.